You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Well, good morning, church. My name is Austin Dameron. I have the privilege to serve on staff here as the high school pastor, and I'm clearly not Brandon Hayes. Right, uh, Brandon is actually filling in in the, vi- in the worship center this morning. Pastor David is on a sabbatical for the month of August. And so last week, is, if you were here, Tony preached uh, in the venue. And then there'll be another speaker next week to fill in for Brandon while he's in the worship center. Um, and so uh, just to share a little bit of my story, my wife and I moved here. Ashley moved here four months ago um, from East Texas. And it has just been incredible. Uh, to be on staff and to be a part of this church. And so if you, uh, maybe you're a guest this morning, maybe you're trying out churches. I've only been here four months, but, but I can say there's something special happening here at Southcrest, that God is doing a work, and there's not many churches like this. Amen? Can we see that? And so if, maybe if this is your first time, I think very quickly, if you were to come over the next couple weeks, you'll see that God is doing something significant in this place, not only impacting Lubbock, but impacting all over the world. And so I grew up in a Christian home, had two godly parents that that feared the Lord, raised me in those ways. I accepted Christ uh, when I was eight years old. And and really from that, I just kind of went into the motions. Um, And as a teenager, I rebelled heavily against the Lord, just just went away um, from everything I knew, everything I was raised in. And as I was a senior, going into my senior year of high school, we had a transition of youth pastor. And this youth pastor came in, and for the first time in my life, someone other than my parents began to really pour into me and really disciple me. And from that kind of discipleship taking place, I, my sin was revealed, uh, my brokenness was revealed, and really true repentance began to take place in my life. And very quickly from that moment, I began to feel a stirring and a calling to the ministry. And this was like completely different than anything I ever thought I would do. Uh, Both my parents went to Texas Tech, and so my life plans were to come here and to go to Texas Tech and to probably to pursue money. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what I thought was in store. And so the Lord just turned the car completely around and said, no, this is not what you have. And so instead of coming here to the university, I went to a Bible college to pursue what I thought the Lord was calling me to. And over those four years, he made it very clear that I was supposed to do life with teenagers. And so after that, my wife and I got married. We moved to uh, maybe 30 minutes away from our school and and worked at a church in East Texas for three years. And then the Lord called us here. And over and over, we have repeated Psalm 118.23, which says, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we're just so thankful to be a part of this church and to, to, to serve alongside you. And so before we jump into God's word this morning, um, let me just pray for us and, and we'll move into scripture this morning. Lord, we love you. And God, you're the reason we're here. We believe you keep hope alive and that you're worthy of our praise. And so Lord, this morning, would you move distraction, as as the fall begins to begin and school's starting back, so many things that could just get in the way of what you want to do this morning. Would you open our hearts and our minds to hear your voice? And if you're willing right now, would you take a moment in your seat 
to pray that just over yourself, that God would free you of any distraction. Take a moment and pray that right now. So Lord, we love you and we trust you. Would you speak to us now? Amen, amen. All right, I wanna start with a story that will give us, I hope, a lot of direction of where we're headed. Uh, a couple months ago, we got word that my uh, wife's youngest brother, his name's Ashton, was gonna run in the state track meet in Waco, Texas. And so we traveled from Lubbock to Waco and uh, most of the time we spent inside the stadium with the, with the main track and a lot of different events were taking place. And we were there for hours in the sun and just kind of dying at mo- certain points as it's extremely hot. And uh, throughout those hours, people would come and go, right? Various hundreds of people were there to support their family, their kids, their friends as they would run and compete in these different meets. And so at one point uh, during the day, the kind of section that we were sitting, the bench that we were on, began to clear out. And this large man, and I don't mean like of large weight, of large muscle, right? Came and sat at the end of our row. And my father-in-law and I began to look over at him and he was fully decked out in all cowboy's gear. From his head all the way to his shoes, he either had on a cowboy's emblem or cowboy's color. And this wasn't just like the, the, like the kind of the cheap stuff that you would buy at Academy, right, in the sales section. Like, you could tell, like, oh, man, this, is, this, this guy's the real deal. And so my father-in-law and I began to look over at him and began to get on safari. And we began to think, I think that's Jason Witten right over here to our right. And so we kind of like little kids begin to freak out and tell everyone around us, like showing them the picture on our phone, like, hey, yo, that's Jason Witten right there. And all of us like are going nuts. And so if you don't know Jason Witten, he was the tight end for the Cowboys for 16 seasons. And so we were huge football fans. And so my father-in-law goes over and talks to him. And I was a little too nervous to do that, right? You know, I don't, I don't need to talk to Jason Witten. It's not a big deal, right? Uh, and so we talked to him for a little bit. And what was crazy to me is that only about 10 of us in the stadium knew that he was there, right? He, he had on a mask and at times he would pull it down. So he was trying to be, I guess, a little incognito, right? And that not many people would know he was there, but only about 10 of us knew he was there while hundreds of people in that stadium had no idea that a famous football player was even there. And what was crazy is there's people sitting right next to him that like are just watching their kids, rooting for them, and Jason Witten sitting right next to them. No idea. And so I start with that story this morning because we're gonna see in the scriptures a man that has a conversation with Jesus and doesn't recognize that it's Jesus the Christ. And ultimately, he's going to miss Jesus, but more importantly, he's gonna miss out on the kingdom of God because of it. And so if you have your Bible, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, pretty easy to find this morning, Luke 18, verse 18. And as you turn there, just to kind of set it up just a little bit, this is an incredibly famous passage of scripture. It's called the rich young ruler. It shows up three different times in the gospel. So we see it in Matthew Mark and Luke, and through each one of these, we see different things about this ruler. We learn that he's rich, that he's young, 
and he's a business ruler. He has an empire, right, that has led to his wealth. And as you study this text deeper, scholars believe that this man wasn't just rich, young, and famous, and a ruler. They also believed that he was very religious, right, that he was the guy that that came to church, or at this time in life, he went to his synagogue. Like so many of you, he would sit in church, listen to a sermon, he read his Bible and the scripture that he had, and he was doing all of the right things. So this was the type of man that most of us dream to be, right? To be rich, young, famous, and a godly person, right? All of us want to be that. And so everyone at this time would look to this person. They desired to be with him. They wanted to go and hang out at his lake house with him, right? Because he had all the things. And so this story starts in verse 18 with kind of the context of who this man is, right? And it's really important to notice that this man was religious, that he wasn't just clueless, but he was a religious person who went to church. It starts out in verse 18. A ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so I want you to notice from the beginning, just by the way this sentence is worded, this ruler does not recognize that this is Jesus, right? He does not recognize that this is God in the flesh. And this is going to be so important for the rest of this conversation. But he just thinks Jesus is a good teacher or a good man. And Jesus is going to begin to really help him understand his confusion. But he asks the most important question that any of us could ever ask. He says, how do I gain or inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I get in? And, and that's really, the, that's really, you see it on the screen behind me, that's the purpose of what we're looking at today. How does one get in to heaven? How do I get in? And if you were here last week, uh, Tony scared us all away talking about hell, right? And the reality of hell. And we didn't plan this. We actually, Tony and I sat down uh, a few days ago before he preached um, sharing some frozen yogurt, right? Tony enjoyed that. And we talked about what we were planning to preach on. And I don't think either one of us saw this connection or thought about it. But as I began to pray and think through this week, I think there's a clear connection of we see the reality of hell last week and none of us want that, right? Because what is hell? Hell is eternal separation from God. And none of us wanna be eternally separated from God. And so there's this pressing question for all of us of how can I live forever and ever. And I hope and I think we're going to see the answer to that this morning. But first, we're going to see two ways as we read this text that will keep this ruler from missing Jesus and ultimately miss out on the kingdom of God. And so the story continues in verse 19. It's, he, uh, Jesus asked him and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so Jesus begins to recognize that this man thinks people can be good, right? That people could work hard enough or, or do enough things or don't do the wrong things to be considered good or to be considered righteous. And Jesus begins to share with him what true goodness is. And Jesus says, hey, 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 hold up. No one is good but God. No one is good but God. And the story continues, says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And so you would think at this point, surely this ruler would begin to pick on and understand what Jesus is saying here. He would, 
he would probably say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I, I, I've not always honored my parents perfectly. I, I've been angry at them. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe once in my life I've looked at another woman lustfully. You know, I've, I've fallen, I'm sinful, I'm broken, you're right. But instead, this man responds in verse 21. He says, I've kept all of these from my youth. I've followed all of these commandments to a T. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that we see is that religion and moral achievements will keep you from seeing your need for Jesus. And I know that can be confusing a little bit, so let me try to unpack this. And so in this story, Jesus is going to expose two different sins that are in this ruler's life, two different things that he's struggling with. And the first one is religion. And so I I wanna define this morning religion or moral achievements as trusting in your own works rather than the works of Jesus. And so what does it look like to, to pursue those things? It means to trust in your own works, your own goodness, rather than the work of Jesus on the cross. And so I think to kind of set this up, I think oftentimes we fall into this without even knowing it, right? That none of us would ever say like, oh, I'm, I'm good, I've got everything figured out, I'm, I'm a holy person. But naturally, as we kind of come to church, as we read our Bible, as we start to follow the way of God and, and try to move away sin in our life, we can slowly fall into this trap of thinking I've got it all figured out, I'm good. And maybe in the sense so much of thinking, I, well, COVID happened, why should I come back to church? Like, I'm good. And this is where this man begins to fall into, that he thought he could save himself by the things he does. Look at how he asks the question in verse 18. He says, Jesus, what must I do? Just tell me what else I need to do for I can get into eternal life and I'll do it. Tell me what that is. He thought it was a checklist. And so as Jesus begins to list off the commands, honor your parents, right, don't commit adultery, he's thinking and listing those off. He says, okay, I've done all of those. And so this man begins to assume that he can get into heaven by what he does. And Jesus says, oh, really? Right? And so Jesus looks at this ruler, but in a loving way, he says, if you want to get into heaven by what you do, then follow the commandments. Be perfect. Be perfect. And church, I want you to know that seeking to be good enough, seeking to be perfect, to earn your faith or to earn your salvation is exhausting. It's exhausting. And so many of you, probably with me, we watched the Olympics over the past three or four weeks, maybe even longer than that. I can't remember how long it went on. But so many of us saw the story about the gymnast Simone Biles, right, who was expected to really just shock the world. And she ended up, withdrawing from multiple events that she was supposed to compete in. And she was asked in an interview kind of why she made that decision. Why, why would you back out? Like you've worked for years to be here. And she said that she felt the weight of the world, like the pressure of the world on her shoulders to be perfect. And so as she went into the Olympics, she had an opportunity to win six gold medals. And if you go back and watch any of the previews for the Olympics, all of us expected her to do that, right? It was like just kind of a given. She's gonna go six for six. She'll raise up our medal count because she's so great. She's perfect. 
And so as she began to compete, she felt that pressure on her shoulders, shoulders <laughs> words, to be perfect, right? And she had to withdraw because she was moved to anxiety that if she was to move one way incorrectly that she could break her leg, that she could seriously hurt herself. And so I share that with you because when we seek to be good enough, when we seek to earn our salvation or earn our faith by what we do or by what we don't do, it's exhausting and ultimately it's impossible. And so Jesus looks at this man and reminds him, no one is good but God. And so don't try to be good, don't try to be God, because you never will be. You're broken and you're sinful, but instead you come to the Savior in desperate need of him. Don't try to be good, church, but come to the Savior broken. And so what will keep you potentially from seeing your need for Jesus, from missing out on him? It's religion. It's moral achievements. It's maybe having so much biblical wisdom or biblical knowledge that you're like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I didn't go to seminary, but I know more than the pastors. Right? You, you move to feel good. Or maybe it's even spiritual performance of coming here every week, of reading your Bible. It can lead us, if we're not careful, into a trap of feeling like I'm good enough. I've done enough. And almost in a sense of feeling like we're our own savior. And so the story continues and we'll see the second sin. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, when he heard the response from the ruler that he had kept all the commandments and followed all of these things to a T, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So the second thing we see is that the things that you treasure on this earth will keep you from seeing Jesus. The things that you treasure on this earth will keep you from seeing Jesus. And so the second sin that Jesus exposes is the sin of idolatry. And so think about this. How could we define idolatry this morning? Idolatry is finding your greatest pleasure and purpose in anything other than Jesus. It's putting anything in our life before God. And oftentimes, we do this with good things. Like good things in our life that God has given us to cherish and to enjoy we cherish them too much in a sense that we begin to put them in place of God. And for this ruler, the thing that he put before God, the thing that he cherished most in his life, that he found his greatest pleasure and purpose in was his wealth, was his finances. And Jesus looks at this man, and he's not being rude, he's loving him, and says, you still lack one thing. In other words, he's trying to help this man that he's, know that he's not perfect, right? That he can't seek to earn his salvation by what he does. He's helping him know you're far from perfect. The world may see you as perfect. The world may see you as famous and doing all the right things, but I know your true heart and you still lack one thing. And so Ben Stewart, a pastor in Washington, D.C., 
when, when he was teaching this text, but from the book of Mark, he said this, and I think it's so helpful for us to see. He said, the one thing the man lacked was seeing Jesus as better, better than his possessions. And what Jesus wanted in this moment was for this ruler to give up everything, right? To go sell all he had and, and in a sense, prove it to Jesus of, I don't treasure these things, but I treasure you, right? To, to give up everything he had and run to the Savior and to treasure him. And Jesus tells him, if you give this up, you'll have more treasure than you can ever imagine in heaven. But the ruler couldn't do it. Couldn't give up what he had. He couldn't see Jesus as better. And so the things you treasure on this earth, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's the way people view you, whether it's your, your fitness and your ability to work out your biceps ultimately, right? Maybe it's your job, a sports team. Whatever you treasure on this earth will keep you from seeing Jesus as better. And so this ruler looked at the savior of the world, right? He's having a conversation with him. Looked him in his eyes and said, you're not good enough for me. Why? because his treasure controlled him. His wealth controlled him. And get this, this is, this is so important to think about, is that he missed out on worshiping the creator because he was worshiping his creation. He fell for an idol. And so often this happens to us. So often we fall for the treasures of this world and miss the true treasure, right? We miss out on Jesus. And so every single day, as you leave today, you'll choose either God or idolatry. And we have to make that choice. And for this man, he would miss out on the kingdom of God because of his choice, that he couldn't go all in with Jesus because of that. And so from this story, we see that both religion and idolatry can keep you from seeing Jesus in numerous different ways, right? We could, we could go through this and explain many different ways that religion and idolatry can keep us from seeing Jesus. But this still begs the question that, that we came here this morning that we're looking at of, of how do I get into heaven? And if it's not by just coming and sitting in one of these chairs, if it's not by doing religious acts and it's not by just pushing away idolatry, how do we get into heaven? I think the answer is really clear. If you'll look back just a few verses before this passage of the rich young ruler, starting in verse 15. Verse 15 through 17. People were bringing infants, or in other words, babies, to Jesus so that he might touch them and bless them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. And so in other words, the disciples get in the way of these people bringing their children to Jesus. Jesus, however, invited them and said, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Verse 17. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so the third thing, final thing that we'll see this morning is how do you get into heaven and live forever and ever and ever with Jesus? 
is you receive the free gift of Jesus Christ like a child. Like a child. And so, in other words, you can't earn your salvation. You can't work hard enough for it. But instead, you come to Jesus like a baby. And so let's think about what babies are for a moment. Babies are in desperate need, right? And in a sense, they're helpless. And so both of my, two of my cousins recently had babies. And so uh, over this past holiday break, I was excited to go and, and visit my cousins and, and hang out with them. And, you know, I knew they had a child and I was excited to see their child, but I was also excited to hang out with my cousins, right? And, and play basketball and, and spend time with them and all these things. But the baby took up the entire time. Like they couldn't leave him alone. I didn't understand. But you think about it, babies are in desperate need. They constantly need someone to be there to care for them, to feed them, to protect them, for some to even hold their neck up, right? For they won't just pop over, right? They, they need someone to care for them. And I didn't know why my cousins wouldn't just hang out with me. But if you think about that, the babies are in desperate need. And so we don't come to Jesus with tradition and religion and say, Jesus, this is what I've done. I've been a good person. I've only cussed twice in my life, so let me in. No, we come to Jesus like a child and say, Father, I need you in desperate need of a savior. And so we see this idea of, of how we gain faith, how we gain eternal life throughout the scriptures. Just a few examples. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves or yourselves. This is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And on and on and on, Scripture points to this idea that you're not saved by what you do, but you're saved by your faith. It's faith over works. And so a few weeks ago, we shared with you a story, and, and a true story, about a man that was in the hospital. And our pastoral staff got, got word that he was in the hospital he didn't come to our church, but we began to visit him and to pray for him. And he was in the hospital for COVID-related issues. And eventually, after months of being in the hospital, the doctors came to him and told him, you don't have much longer. Your, your time's coming. And he began to wrestle with this question of what happens to me when I die? Where do I go? And one of our pastors just happened to be there one visit as he was wrestling with this question and he shared the gospel with him. And so in this bed, as he's laying with tubes inside his body, he's hooked up to a monitor that's keeping him breathing, keeping him alive. Basically, the only reason he was still with us is because of modern medicine. In that moment, he cries out to Jesus and receives salvation from a hospital bed. And then a few days later, he would go on to pass away. And now we believe that he's dancing with Jesus, right? Free of any COVID, any, any pain, any sickness, that he's dancing with the Savior. 
But in that moment, as he was in that hospital bed, he didn't bring anything to the table. Right? He could barely breathe. He could barely stay alive. And he came to Jesus helpless, like a child, in desperate need of help and support and ultimately salvation. And so in the same way this morning, if you haven't gone all in with Jesus, if you haven't pushed in all the chips to say, you're the Lord of my life, you can make that decision this morning. Right? And you don't have to come with, with all the things that you've done, but you could make that decision right now from your seat. Like you, you don't have to hear the rest of the sermon. You can make that decision right now that you would cry out to him as your Lord and Savior in desperate need like a child and you'll receive salvation. How do we get into heaven? We receive it like a child in faith in him. And also in a moment, we're gonna have a time of response. We're gonna, we're gonna pray and the band will come back up to, to play a song and there'll be people here at the front. And if you want more information about that, you just need to talk to someone or you want to receive Jesus, the people here at the front would love to talk with you about that. The greatest thing that you could do the most important question that you'll ever answer in your life is where you're gonna go when you die. And you can be sure of that today. Receiving Jesus like a child. And as we close and, and kind of move into a time response here in a moment, I think there's two questions for us as believers, those that have gone all in with Jesus, two things that we need to consider. The first one is, as we think about the sin of religion that we can be so tempted to fall into, in what areas of your life are you tempted to trust in your own goodness rather than the goodness of Jesus? And so in other words, the way that kind of to say this is where are you living like you don't need a savior? Where are you living like you have it all figured out? And so just a few examples of that, it could be your church attendance, right? That, that you think you're good essentially because you come here every week, right? You don't even miss the holidays. You're at church every single week. It may be the amount of time that you spend reading your Bible, that you know that your friends, your coworkers, they don't read scripture as much as you do. So your heart begins to wonder and saying, I'm better, I'm good enough because I read scripture more than they do. It might be the amount of biblical wisdom or the amount of Bible verses that you have memorized that you're caught up to feeling good enough. And so often I've fallen into this trap of thinking I've got it figured out. It also could be the reverse of not what you do, but it could be what you don't do, right? That you don't act like other people. You don't behave like them. And so your heart begins to drift in thinking, I'm better and I'm good. And so here's what's possible this morning. And for so many of us that maybe would call us churchgoers or church attenders. So when we were at that track meet, there were so many people there that didn't know Jason Witten was in the stadium. Right? They missed him. Why? Because they were watching their kids race. They were watching their friends compete. They, they were doing the thing that they were there for, to watch them compete in this track meet. And my fear is that in the same way that you could come here every week, sit in one of these chairs, be plugged into a small group, be a greeter, but you missed Jesus. You missed the most 
important thing. And we can fall into this in our personal lives as well, right? As we get busy with work and lives and kids and everything else that we're doing so many great things, don't get me wrong, we're caught up in life. But just like the people at the, at the track meet that never looked over and realized there's a famous person next to them, we can so easily forget to look to our left or to our right and miss Jesus. And so let's not miss Jesus, church. Let's not fall into trusting into our own goodness or the own thing, our own things that we've done that we miss out on the Savior. Don't miss Jesus. Please don't be here for the wrong reasons. And so Tim Keller, he, he says this in uh, the book, Reason for God. He says, it's possible to avoid Jesus as Savior as much by keeping the biblical rules or coming to church, doing all the right things, as it is by breaking them. It's possible to avoid Jesus as Savior as much by keeping the biblical rules as it is by breaking them. And so as we respond in a moment, where in your life are you trusting in your own goodness rather than the goodness of Jesus? The second question I want us to consider, and I think has really just wrecked my heart this week, is what am I treasuring more than Jesus? What are you treasuring more than Jesus? Is it your kids? Is it your wealth? Is it a relationship? I, I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that question of what are you treasuring more than Jesus? And so when I began to meet with this youth pastor that began to disciple me and, and began to encourage me to pursue the Lord, he, he taught our student ministry this equation that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so the essence of his equation, the making sense of that is that you don't need to add anything to Jesus, right? That if you have Jesus, you have everything. But I think if we were honest this morning, that often we would say, I need Jesus and a lot of everything else. And I need Jesus and a lot of the world to be happy, to be fulfilled, to, to just make it in the chaos of what we call this world. And church, here, here's, if I can be so honest with you, if we fall into that trap of thinking we need Jesus plus something else, I don't know if we've really met Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so this morning, as you move into a response, as we all move into this time, first, where are you tempted to trust in your own goodness rather than the goodness of Jesus? And number two, what are you treasuring more than him? And so let's not be a people that miss out on worshiping the creator because we're caught up worshiping his creation. Let me pray for us and we'll respond. Lord, we love you. And we're thankful for the truth of your word and, and how it touches our hearts. And God, I just can't help but think what would have happened if the ruler would have turned around? What if he wouldn't have walked away, God, and said, I, I need you and came to you like a child? And God, I pray for the person in this room this morning that hasn't made that decision, that hasn't gone all in with you. God, would you stir in their heart to make that decision? 
to accept you as their Lord and Savior. And God, for so many of us that would call ourselves Christians and, and followers of you that have fallen into the trap of religion, God, would you help reveal the areas that we're trusting in our own goodness rather than yours? And God, for those of us that have fallen into the trap of idolatry, which is all of us, God, would you forgive us for treasuring things on this earth that you made rather than treasuring and, and placing everything in our lives towards you. God, we're thankful that you're a God that forgives. And so Lord, would you forgive us of those things now? And we're thankful that you've made a way that we don't have to work hard enough, we don't have to seek to be perfect, but you sent your son to die for us, that you've done the work for us when we couldn't. And so Lord, however you're moving this morning, working and stirring our hearts, Lord, would you lead us to respond, whether that's in our seats or whether that's moving to the front. God, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. And God, we respond to you right now and however we see fit and we worship you in song. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 